Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Julian here from the Dublin Story Slam. Uh, all this week we have been giving anybody who subscribed to our mailing list a chance to win their very own private reserved booth at our next Story Slam on September 18th in the Sugar Club where the theme is Back to Work. So the booth can sit up to four people, so that's tickets for you and three of your friends and we're delighted to say that the winner is Mark Hogan. So, congrats, Mark, and we'll be in touch with you. For everyone else, tickets will go on sale for the show on the 18th very soon. So, if you haven't already subscribed to the mailing list, make sure you do so, because that's how we let people know first. And to inspire you to maybe share some of your own stories about your own work experience, that's also the theme of this month's episode. Now, here's the show. Hello and welcome to the Dublin Story Slam podcast. We are a monthly open mic storytelling night that takes place every month in the Sugar Club in the heart of Dublin City. Now this podcast celebrates all kinds of stories that we record live on the night and here we bring you the best of those stories that we've collected over the last year or so. The thing that they all have in common though is that they are all true, they're all personal and they're all told live on stage at the Dublin Story Slam. This is the Dublin Story Slam podcast. My name is Julian Clancy and I produce the Dublin Story Slam and joining me is uh, our head of uh, HR uh, on the night, the man who looks after our most important resources of all and that is the humans who tell our stories. It is Mr. Colin O'Regan. Hello, yes, I do the job of a good HR professional. I introduce the storytellers to their metaphorical desk, give them their logons <laughs> and uh, let them know let them know about policies, uh, warn them not to be harassing fellow employees, that kind of thing. So we've chosen three stories that are, are inspired by the theme of work. Um, I mean, I've, I've had some pretty, pretty dodgy jobs in the past. I think one of the weirdest ones I had was where I went to the interview um, and I came out of that interview with still no idea of what the actual job was because I was told, just come back the next day 
and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll show you. It's so much easier if you just witness, we'll, we'll put you with somebody and you can job shadow them. And so I arrived back the next day into this office where all these other candidates were gathered and equally everybody was clueless as to what the actual job still entailed. But we could hear this bell ringing every so often and this big cheer. So we were kind of thinking, what, what, what's going on here? And it ended up being a, a, a kind of a, a sales job where you went around to like business estates uh, neighborhoods with a big bag of completely random stuff. Like there was Hawaii shirts, Hawaiian shirts, and steak knives and a hammer um, that you would basically go up, knock on doors, and do a bit of cold call sales. And it was very weird. And I did not uh, actually take up their offer of employment because um, I was think it was 100% commission and no actual pay at all. What is the most weirdest thing or job that you've ever had, Connor? I was once a human scarecrow. <laughs> I okay, was that, that, trump, that trumps mine what the hell is a human scarecrow is it literally what I think it is it is to give background there was a man in the local area who employed young lads to go picking vegetables weeding vegetables all that kind of thing it was in some ways a rite of passage to go work for this man he had a big market gardening business and because we'd all start on the age of 12 or the people that I knew who'd started there, it was almost like the army. Like you went off a soft-handed little primary school just out of your nappies type person. You came back like a hardened, browned, like soldier. And I wanted one of these jobs. But it would appear that he was all good for weeders, pickers, planters, harvesters. And... And then he explained that my job was to, in these six fields, these 25 acres, to go around on my bicycle along the headlands of the fields and basically, you know, be Scarecrow. a human presence. That's what I was going to say. Were you, were you like, did you have to make noise or did you ring a bell? Did you have like I had f- no, just a bipedal presence wow. of that was enough. human was enough. And it worked, believe it or not. And I, I, I heard that one other person had got that job at some point. I can't remember whether it was before or after me, but I heard this afterwards. So I didn't uh, mind, although everybody, as soon as they heard about it, I couldn't walk through the village at any point for the next little while afterwards without people running towards me, waving their arms and saying, (laughs) like that. So but the money was two euro, two pound an hour. And it turned. I read books. I read all of Patrick McCabe's books, which is funny because he writes books about weird stuff that happens in the countryside. I, I was productive. I did what I needed to do. And I was a child of nature for six weeks out in the fresh air. And did, uh, was the was the farmer happy with your progress? He was. And once I'd raised the plants to a point at which they could <laughs> stand on their own two roots, that was it. That was the end of the contract. And yeah. it was it, there was a f- fine crops in all of those fields. One could almost say that you were outstanding in your field. I was outstanding. Well, it was somebody else's field, but I was outstanding. <laughs> This is um, the the first story that we're going to play for you is um, about a man who is a young man when he starts off working and it's about working in a, in, a, in a field, working in a job that you don't really enjoy, which I think is something that everybody can identify with. And the other interesting thing about this story is that this is the first 
Gavin Ryan is the name of our storyteller and Gavin was the first storyteller on the night and getting up first at the Dublin Story Slam can be really 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 tricky because the audience doesn't know you the um, you know they haven't had a chance to kind of relax and, and, and warm up into the night you know sometimes it, it, it can be it can be hard for that first storyteller because they're almost you know setting the bar but Gavin does a brilliant brilliant take on this story and the thing for the first time storyteller is that they are praying they're not first out of the hat. So as well as dealing with having their name called and having to go up and tell the story, they are kind of dealing with what they the thing they didn't want to happen happening. Yeah. Okay, well, keeping that in mind, this is Gavin Ryan. Um, so, um, so the story is, um, when I was um, younger, in my teenage years, my early 20s, I was quite wild. Um, Kind of heading for a liver transplant list, wild. Um, <laughs> and um, one of the things about that was that it was quite hard to hold down a job. Um, so I, I worked a lot of different jobs. I was like a kitchen porter, and I worked in factories, and I worked in building sites, and every kind of unskilled job you could get. And the reason I had so many was that I couldn't hold them down. Um, and the reason I couldn't hold them down was that I couldn't get up in the morning. Um, and the reason I couldn't get up in the morning was because I didn't so much wake up as come to. Uh, <laughs> And I'd wake up, and it'd be 9 or 10 or 11, and, I, and I'd go into work, and my boss would give out to me, and I couldn't understand it because I'd been in a coma. And it seemed really unfair to be giving out to someone who'd just been in a coma. Um, so what would happen then is I'd wake up, and I'd look, if I was already late, and I was really hungover, I'd have to decide whether I was going to go in or not. Because there's that kind of tipping point. How late are you? How much trouble will you get into? Will you get into more trouble by actually going in? clearly hung over than you will by staying home and pretending to be sick. And if you stay at home and pretend to be sick, you have to pick up the phone and ring in and go, I'm sorry, I'm sick. You know, even if you've broken your toe, I'm sick. Um, and, and that's really hard. Um, it seems really easy, but actually telling that lie, especially like it's okay if you get your boss first, but if you get your colleague first, do you go, I'm sick to them? Or do you go, can I talk to the bus? And then, I'm sick. <laughs> so, so that's their decisions you have to make. And um, when I was about 22, I ended up working in the complaints department of a house alarm company. Um, it's a really wonderful job. Uh, where people have had their houses broken into and the alarm didn't go off. And, and they're, 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 they're ringing to say thanks. Or... Or they have a baby and, at home and their neighbor's house alarm has been going off for seven days and they're really so excited they wanted to share the news with you. And so it's a hard job to do with a hangover. And um, one Monday I woke up uh, with a particularly bad hangover after a particularly bad bender and, and it was, um, I guess I was late, I can't remember the time, but I was certainly too late and I, I had that thing weighing up in my mind, you know, will I go in? and brazen it out, or, or will I... God, I'm sick. And, and I had this first thing, first time it ever happened to me in my life, I couldn't do either. I was too sick to go in. I just couldn't face it. I couldn't face my boss, and I, I couldn't face these angry customers shouting down the phone at me with a hangover. And so I did nothing. I froze. And the day went by. And I didn't go in, and I didn't call in. And, and I didn't know what to do, but it just went past, and I, the night some friends called around, and whatever happened, and... <laughs> 
the next morning I came to again and I'm late again. And, and the problem is, um, at this stage, what do you do? Because you didn't go in yesterday and you didn't call in. Do you call in now? Go, I'm sick. Uh, or, or do you go in and apologize? Tell, anyway, so the right thing to do, obviously, was call in or go in. And I did neither again. And, and worse, they called me. And I didn't answer. I just... I, I, head in the sand like an ostrich, you know, hoping, hoping it would go away. And, and um, so that day passed by, the same thing happened again. And the third day I woke up and I was in time for work. But the problem was I didn't know what I'd say when I went in. Where had I been? I, I just couldn't, I didn't have a good enough excuse to why I didn't answer the phone when they rang. I could kind of say I was sick, but like, why didn't I answer? Even why didn't I ring? I have no credit. My phone went on fire. I don't know. But why didn't I answer the phone? I had no answer. So... I didn't go in and I didn't call and, and the week passed and, and <laughs> by Wednesday of the following week I kind of reckoned I was fired so I went back in to clear some things out of my desk that I'd left behind and I kind of wanted and um, I was ashamed as a handy job you know and I didn't want to lose it um, but I, I, I didn't know what to do but I went in and my boss called me into his office to give, him a, give me a talking to and he was this kind of guy, he's like a PE teacher, he should have been a PE teacher, he was just short the whistle, you know, and he kind of, stand like that, no Gavin, you know, and uh, he talked to me, you know, what happened? And I didn't know what to say and I wanted to keep my job and I decided. Hold up, what was that? Boring, no flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what-ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I, I decide I'd start telling, oh, well, you see, I, I just wake up and I, I have these feelings, you know, this darkness. And I started saying that, and he was just, he didn't know where to look. And he's like, oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and, and, um, and he said, look, if they, just go back to work, and if it happens again, get a doctor's note. And so I got to keep my job. I was, I was so relieved. And um, so I, I, my colleagues asked me, you know, where had you been? And, and I, I didn't want to say I'd been at home, you know, kind of not going to work and not knowing what to do. So I said, oh, I went to Prague. <laughs> That's what I thought. <laughs> and they believed me. So I was on a two for two. And uh, I, I coasted on. And, and that, was, that was the story as I understood it for a while. And the only thing is, a couple of years later, um, I had a child. And the way I'd been carrying on kind of wasn't really uh, working with, with a baby and, and all of that kind of thing. And I realized that... Uh, 
I probably couldn't be drinking the way I was drinking and then maybe had to do something about it. And, and I looked back and I realized that my boss hadn't been really gullible. He hadn't been fooled by my clever lie. In fact, he was the first person I'd ever told the truth to. That is how I felt in the morning. That's why I couldn't pick up the phone. And so having realized that, that I was the fool, that I was the gullible person, and that now I'd shone some light on the darkness and, 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 and created, was able to see the truth, suddenly I was able to do something about it. And, and having realized what the truth was, it could set me free. Thank you. Gavin Ryan, ladies and gentlemen. That is Gavin Ryan there with our first story of the night where the theme was truth. Um, there's a particular point in that story where he's kind of talking to his boss and, you know, he kind of lightheartedly, jokingly, you know, says, oh, well, I had these dark feelings, which I remember saying to myself, not cool, dude. Not, that's like really inappropriate. And the whole audience kind of seems to, there was a little bit of a turn, but then you get that full 360 where you almost get that punch in the stomach when, you know, it actually was he was being honest but you, you, I think sometimes maybe you hide behind the laughter sometimes it's one of those amazing things that happens in a story where you you travel for four minutes with a particular view you hear that line and then your brain resets the whole four minutes you've heard in that context and yeah it was beautifully done as well so the next story that we're going to play for you is about a field of work uh, that I don't think many people think about maybe because they don't want to think about it but there's just also maybe not that much known about it. Uh, It comes from Lolly Mancy O'Brien who has told um, a story. She's actually one of the Story Slam winners who will be taking part in the Grand Slam later on this year Uh, but this story wasn't her winning story but it's another story where the theme of the night was voices and uh, this is Lolly Mancy O'Brien. You never forget the first dead body you undress. It's up there with losing your virginity for firsts. And the first dead body, the dead person I ever undressed, her name was Mary. Now you're going to start to think I'm very, very strange. But I was working as a trainee in Barma at the time. And on my very first day as a trainee in Barma, I had to take beautiful Mary, who died from pneumonia at the age of 94, with that, you know, that paper-thin skin, so beautiful, and this lovely peaceful look upon her face, And I had to take her out of her long white nightgown and put her in her Sunday best, which wasn't easy because Mary was like this. So Mary and I worked together on undressing Mary. And I remember saying to her, come on now, Mary, this is teamwork. (laughs) We're going to need to get this done. And my first day wasn't easy, but it was really, really, really interesting. And I was 19. And at the end of my first day, I called my mom from a payphone, because I'm quite old. (laughs) And I said, Mom, I just had the most incredible day. And she said, I don't want to know anything. And I said, I know what you do. And she went, I don't want to know anything at all about your day. And then there was a pause. I was eating chips at the time. I was hungry. And she said, maybe I do. So block your ears if you don't want to know. Because it's really fascinating, and it's something we never think about. What's going to happen to us? It's going to happen to all of us. And what exactly goes on? So with a gentleness of spirit, with the theme of love, I shall tell you what happens to you when you die. The first thing is that you have to be laid on your back because otherwise the blood rushes to the front of your face and no one wants that kind of a glow. So you get laid on your back. The second thing is you get undressed by somebody like a trainee, like me, with a big smile and a happy heart. 
And what you may not know is when you die, you shit yourself. So you don't always come in the nicest possible way. But there's another thing that happens to you. Well, it happens to the other 49% of us. And your blood rushes to your extremities, and something happens. And as a consequence, because something happens, the final salute, when you're undressing somebody, you have to undress them with dignity and respect. So we place a little towel on it. And we go about our business. Now, this is where it gets a little bit gory. So if you imagine a contact lens and you poked a few holes in it, they have to be put underneath the eyes because no one wants them springing open at a weird time. And then after that, your lips have to be closed. So a little stitch goes in just there, but you have to get it dead center or you get a sneer. Nobody wants that either. (laughs) After that, it's the kind of bigger stuff. So there's a hole in this vein and a hole in this vein and in this one goes formaldehyde and out of this one comes all of your blood and then a little incision here and your organs come out. It's all very pleasant. And then your orifices, all of them, (laughs) are somehow sealed. Okay. And then after that is the nice stuff of hair and makeup. So if you were holding your ears, you can take them away now because it's all done dusted. But what was really interesting about that was I spent three months a trainee in Bama, and I, I kind of thought I may go into it. I didn't. I went to university. But it never quite left me. And it was there hanging around in my history for a while until about 20 years later when, um, as an academic with a PhD in social anthropology, I started designing courses in ritual in Ireland. And I created something called the Irish Institute of Celebrants, where we would train people, first in weddings and then after that came funerals, how to really celebrate life, how to really celebrate a good send-off and how to send people off into good grief. And that's really, really important as we become more secular. So, again, you're probably thinking, come on now, this is meant to be about love. And it is, because... When the celebrants are celebrating life, we're doing something that nobody else can do. We're doing something at a time of hardship that people would like to do themselves. They'd like to really talk about that person and their stories and their moments. And we got a call from a woman who'd been given a terminal diagnosis, and she was in her 40s. And she had kids, and it was tragically sad. And she said, I want to sit with somebody while I'm alive and write my funeral. And that'll bring me comfort. So we did. And the other thing that we did for her was she said, I've had this idea, I want a celebration of my life, that right at the end, there's a firework, and inside are my ashes, and my children get to see that happen, and that will be amazing, and that's my gift of love to them. So we made it happen. We contacted a firework company in Belfast who cover the island of Ireland, because you have to have a license down here, and they did that for us, and she had a celebration of her life. Now, I was on the Ray Darcy radio show talking about this, and about what a wonderful line of work that I have and how fascinating it is. And afterwards, I jumped in a taxi, and I told the taxi driver where I wanted to go, and he said, well, you're just on the radio. I think I was listening. And I said, I was. And he said, that's hilarious. He said, my wife's buried in the back garden. (laughs) (laughs) Does anyone else know, I said. (laughs) He said... Yep, yep, he said, my wife goes out and waters under the magnolia tree every day, my new wife, and she talks to my old wife about what an awful old bollocks I am half the time. (laughs) He said, and we all enjoy it. So (laughs) there's some interesting factors to it. Now, another thing that we've started doing is not only sitting with people while they're alive and writing their funerals, because surely wouldn't you want the last word? I know I would. But also that we supply something called a death doula. 
Now, you may have heard of birthing doulas, but a death doula is somebody that sits with you when you're dying and holds your hand and looks after you and just comforts you as you transition, as you leave us. And it's the most powerful, incredible thing to do. It's not for everybody, but there's a certain type of person, a calling of people that find this you know, incredibly empowering work. And the things that they say to us are the reason that I'm here tonight. When people are passing, they talk about missed opportunities. They talk about the friends they wish they'd never let go. They talk about they wish they'd spent more time with their children. They never say, I wish I worked more and made more money. And they talk about, I wish I'd been kinder to myself. I wish I'd allowed myself to be happier. And we sit and smile and just reassure them. And so my gift to you tonight is the fact that you need to love yourself. And if you want to have that extra piece of cake, then do it. And if you want to dance naked, then do it. Because we're only here for a short time. And their gift to you is that story. You've got to love yourself. That was Lolly Mansi O'Brien. Um, I, there was a few little bits there where I was getting squeamish and I was kind of worrying, you know, this is, where's the story going? But then it's got such a lovely, heartwarming uh, message at the end of it as well. Listening to her description of the embalming process, I always find those everyday things that we have no reason to think about unless confronted with death. I always find it fascinating when somebody describes it. Also, we hear like life affirming statements all the time you know sometimes they're put on facebook on on in front of a sunset and these words they're they can be powerful but you can get jaded by aphorisms like love yourself or be go easy on yourself but somehow when it's told to you by somebody who knows what people really care about because there's no truer truth than how you feel when you're about to die so I listened to Lolly tell me to love myself or go easy on myself or not worry about the material things because I know she's seen it and therefore I believe it. I want, you know, as opposed to a generic statement on, on a Hallmark card, I'll, I'll definitely listen to Lolly's opinion on what's really important in life. This episode has been all about stories that are involved in work and I recently as you yourself we, we both have kids now I've got a little girl at home two years of age and you've got you've got two children I can't double trouble or what double and two under three that's right and uh, that's fine it'd be grand <laughs> <laughs> I'm just Callum here. has been injected I, I with caffeine in, I came in here for a snooze yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but this next story deals with that theme it deals with the theme of being a parent and just the incredible hard work and slog that is but then also this amazing a gift that you're, you're given as well. So um, this is a beautiful story from Alana Monks. I can't believe I'm last. I'm mortified. <laughs> anyway, so um, if there's any mothers in the audience, I'm sure you'll all know that pregnancy is the first taste of that maternal panic you carry with you your entire life. And my first real experience of that was the night that my daughter almost died. Um, It was October 2013, and Alice had just turned one. I was 24, and I was still adjusting to motherhood, as any 24-year-old does, because you're handled this helpless little bundle and told to take care of it when you're in the middle of your helpless early 20s. And it's, it's, it's pretty hard. But anyway, and so on the night in question, my husband 
was away all day at an Ireland international soccer match. While he was away, I planned to have my um, good friend Sinead over, and we were going to have some food and some drinks and, you know, put Alice to bed and get on with, you know, our early middle-aged kind of life. <laughs> and um, So I made dinner, and I spent all day prepping for it, um, I'm not a natural cook by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, my husband regularly reminds me that for the first six months of our relationship, he got quite used to the taste of raw sausage. <laughs> so anyway, I was um, at the time I was a stay-at-home mom, and raised in the generation of you know kind of uh, really white feminism, where it's like you know you're either out there ruling the world or you know you're not really doing enough. So I was a stay-at-home mom, and I was really, really, really uncomfortable with that idea. So I, you know, kept trying to prove that I was something more than that. You know, I was, I was really gaining skills at home. So instead, I became, you know, the typical bored housewife. So I became, like, really good at crafting. And I always had a fresh flower arrangement ready to go. And, you know, I, God love me, I tried to write a novel. Like, it's just such a cliche. Um, and I also became, like, a really extra cook, you know. So this day, I spent all day sautéing my prawns and marinating the vegetables and and doing all that sort of stuff and like I was pawning Alice off with chocolate and YouTube videos and all the new millennial ways of parenting and um, so she just got no attention from me because I was busy becoming MasterChef and so in fairness I did make possibly the best meal that I've ever cooked like I made this this sounds like it sounds lame now but like if you like Thai food you'll get it so um, it was coconut tempura prawn on a bed of rainbow rice with a side of homemade satay sauce yeah, you guys get it. <laughs> so we sat down and we had a couple of spoonfuls. And next thing you know, Alice comes half crawling, half walking in that awkward toddler stage out of the sitting room and looking for her mammy and arms up. And she's, you know, looking at me because she pretty much hasn't seen me all day because I've spent the day ignoring her. Like she's looking for her mammy who spent the day pretending not to be a mammy. And I pick her up and I try to eat around my food, like, you know, kind of reaching in this way and that and make some stupid joke about he'll never eat alone once he have kids. And <laughs> next thing you know, her hands are straight in the food. She's like digging in there and that's the end of my meal. As soon as her hands go in the food, she's got this little hive just right in the middle of her forehead. And I turned around to Sinead and I said, was that there a second ago? Did she up her head or something? And Sinead's like, I don't know, I didn't notice. And as we're looking at her, her face just erupts and it's hives everywhere. And we're wondering and we're like, oh God, what's going on? And I look at her hand, and it's covered in satay sauce. And she's never had nuts before. And so anyway, then my heart sinks, but also quickens to the pace of an attack. And I freak out. And I'm straight away on the phone to the D-Doc. And I'm saying, you know, what will I do, what will I do? And I remember words like anaphylaxis, hurry, time, emergency room. And I throw her in the car, and I'm gone. I'm gone for Tempestry. I leave Portion to clean up my mess. And I'm on the road, and I'm going through my memories of what I know about anaphylaxis, and that poor girl who died on O'Connor Street had just happened. And I'm thinking, shit, like, I don't have time here, and I don't have any idea what I'm doing. And so I call my husband, and he's post-match somewhere in a bar, and he doesn't hear his phone. And so I'm screaming profanities into his voicemail, and, you know, God love him, he's been so good never to listen to those. <laughs> <laughs> And so instead, I'm looking back at Alice, and I'm like, you okay, baby? you got to stay awake. And she's swollen to the point that I don't recognize her. And her head has slumped forward under the weight, and I can see that she doesn't have the energy to pick it up. 
and I'm thinking, this real panic sets in, and it's like an elastic band has just worn itself so tight around my stomach, and my intestines have just expelled from my arse. And... <laughs> But it sets in that fire or flight kind of feeling like, you know, the time has stood still. What am I going to do? And so I pull over at the side of the motorway. This is, I live in the middle of fucking nowhere. And this is how I pull over at the side of the motorway on the way into town. And um, I, I ripped her out of her seat. And I brought her into the front and I'm shaking her. And I'm, sh- I'm screaming at her that she has to stay awake. And she's not. She's not waking up. And so instead I call 999 and I scream at them for a while instead. And it's about seven and a half minutes, I think, from what I remember on the phone. I'm seven and a half minutes waiting and the the 999 um, operator was very good and he stayed on the phone with me. Then the fire brigade arrived. They arrived first. And I don't... Everything from that point on is this really kind of discordant, fuzzy memory. It's like it's been filmed from underwater. And I see the firemen coming in front of me and I'm on the motorway and my car is shaking from the trucks and the car is passing by and I see them coming and it's a flashing blue light and I can see their fire suits and they're illuminated and they're coming kind of from all angles and next thing you know I'm holding my barely conscious child and I can hear her gasping and the fireman comes in on the passenger door and he comes in and he grabs her fat little thigh and he stabs her and in that nanosecond I was brought back to the operating theatre where she was born where she was ripped from my belly in the middle of a nap. And this silence in the room, as everyone is waiting for that first scream of life to say that everything is okay. And after he stabs her, the adrenaline hits her system, and she cries. And I've never been so happy to hear her cry. And I cry too, <laughs> obviously. And so when everything had calmed down and we had gotten off, to mo- off the motorway... The fireman who stabbed her, that sounds terrible, but (laughs) the fireman who stabbed her turned around to me and said, you know, you saved her life. And I don't know whether that's a genuine fact or just a paramedic trying to calm down a hysterical mother. But I did find out later that from the point of calling the GP and the fireman stabbing Alice in the leg was just under 20 minutes and death from anaphylaxis can occur in under 30 So I don't know. I don't like to say that I saved Alice's life because the thing about being a mother is that your child's life is your life, you know, and I'm done pretending that I'm more than a mother. I'm done because I am, and that's that's who I am. I'm a mother, and I'm I'm proud to be a mother, and, you know, if I want to do that for the rest of my life, and if I, well, I'm back at work, but, you know, whatever, but (laughs) if I never did, who cares? I'm a mother, and that's, that's an important job, and why should we shame women for staying at home? It's their choice, and it's a great choice, and why wouldn't you? And everyone who is a stay-at-home parent knows that if you've gotten through the day without throwing your child in the bin, then you've done a great job, you know? So I don't like to say I saved Alice's life because in those moments I was totally selfish thinking she has to make it through this because I can't live without her. So if there's one thing that maternal panic has taught me, it's that you feel far more strongly for your children than you could ever feel for yourself, but also that those two things are one and the same. Thanks. Wow, Alana Monks, ladies and gentlemen. That was Alana Monks there and... I remember that night. It was one of the most 
affecting stories. I remember listening to you had an audience in absolute thrall. You had this little life that you were hearing, you know, in such danger and Alana maintaining incredible control and telling the story as well, too. She seemed like such a a powerful person. And like a year ago, we had a situation where we had to get a baby to hospital. We didn't know at the time, but we knew something was wrong. And it's a hackneyed phrase, you know, intuition. But there is something there where you go, the normal rhythm of nature is not right here. We need to go and we need to not be afraid to be seen as silly or hypochondriac on somebody else's behalf. And again, you know, not in the same time frame as Alana, which is incredible. Like you can hear that it's almost like 24, the, the series, you know, that, that level of every second counting. But for us, every hour counted or maybe every two hours or something. But again, I think parents save lives all the time. They don't get told it that often. Yeah. And uh, yeah, That's, uh, I, I, yeah. I can't really say much of that because every time I hear that story, you nearly start welling up because you just imagine your little little daughter, her little person in your life, you know, in that kind of scenario and just wondering how would you react? You know, would you have been as, as fast thinking as, um, as as Alana? So um, huge thanks to Alana for, for sharing that story. And in fact, to all of our, our wonderful storytellers uh, on today's um, podcast episode, um, they were Gavin Ryan at the beginning and then we had Lolly Mancy O'Brien and then of course you just heard Alana Monks So something that just uh, occurred to me there is when, when people hear this, uh, this rather beautiful little uh, dinging sound uh, throughout it, uh, is that somebody's phone going off or are they getting a little uh, WhatsApp uh, update or what, what is that called? No, it's a little tap, a gentle tap on a toy xylophone to indicate roughly where the person is in the story. So they get a little ding at four minutes to let them know, another one at six and then another one at seven. So in case you're wondering, there isn't some serial person who forgets to f- switch off their phone during the show it's all part of the drama um, we should say actually the audiences are usually really really good with that I don't think we've ever actually had a phone that's gone off in the middle of it so you know thanks audience um, we will be back next month with three brand new stories um, so we really really hope that you can join us and of course if you want to share your own story maybe you've heard something today that triggered something that m- makes you want to get up and share a story uh, we would love to hear from you just basically email info at the Dublin Story Slam.com and we can we can take things from there and we'll talk to you on the next episode of the Dublin Story Slam podcast goodbye from me too thanks ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.